to Inside Track from Trustonic. This podcast brings together some of the leading minds from the mobile and automotive security industries to really get under the skin of how those worlds have been shaped, what drives them today, and what we can expect in the future. So please take a listen as we go beyond the headlines with the experts and market makers in their field. Welcome to Inside Track at Trustonic. I'm delighted, pleased, and thankful to uh, to join with today William Patterson, who is the Area Director for North Europe at TCL, and also Ernst Whitman, who's the Regional Manager for Southeast Africa at TCL. As part of our ongoing series of Inside Track conversations, um, we wanted to talk today about primarily about how as a global manufacturer of smartphones, you cope in a world that's so diverse in terms of its demographics, uh, its consumers, its trade customers, its technology requirements, um, how you can really be a global player with all those competing demands and needs of your consumers and obviously of your trade partners as well. And I'm so delighted that uh, both William and Ernst have been able to join me today. It'd be great if I just pause for a second and ask uh, maybe William and Ernst to introduce themselves, some of their background, and then I'll ask them to do the same. We'll jump into some great questions. So, William, if you wouldn't mind going first, that would be great. Thank you. Oh, here we go. I'm going to sound like a dinosaur now for the mobile industry. (laughs) (laughs) Started in the industry in 1988 three years after it initially began, when most of the people I now speak to weren't born, (laughs) which is always always interesting on a daily basis. Um, But I I actually started working for um, a service provider. Those of you who have been around long enough will recognize that phrase. Um, And I was a a cold caller. I walked about industrial estates, chapped doors, asked people if they had mobile phones or they wanted mobile phones. Uh, and that's basically how I spent my day when I started. Um, I kind of grew in that company. We ended up being bought by Scottish Power. I went from being in a little private entrepreneurial business to corporate world all of a sudden, and you know, laptops would appear and all that sort of stuff. Um, I ended up in sales director by 1988. So I went from chapping doors to sales director in 10 years. Joined Alcatel in June 1998 very different company from what it is, what we are now. Um, Been there ever since, apart from I had three years off for good behaviour when I was working with a British manufacturer called Sendo. And um, now I'm Area Director for Northern Europe, which is UK and Ireland, Nordics, Benelux countries. Thank you, William. I should declare at this stage that myself and William have known each other for a long time, but he's actually educated me a little bit there as to his background, some of which I'll be using as ammunition later, which is always good. Already, this has been a very useful five minutes. Uh, Steve, if you wouldn't mind doing the same, then that would be great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so from one dinosaur to another, we're, uh, we're going back to 1995 when mobile launched in South Africa. Um, I started off in a service provider, just like Mr. Patterson. Uh, working as a call center operator. So I sat behind a desk and uh, not uh, walking door to door. And um, that was a very brief stint. Um, And I then went straight into uh, the handset manufacturer side of the business, um, working for the original Siemens um, and then joining Motorola where I spent uh, eight years 
um, building up a bit of a name for myself, uh, whether it was good or bad, I'm not too sure. Um, I got uh, sent out to uh, Lagos, Nigeria for three years, uh, where I started uh, business development. And that's where I found the passion uh, that I still have today for uh, what, what we do. Um, I'm now in year 12 uh, with uh, TCL, also joined uh, back in the day under the Alcatel brand um, with our uh, offices in, in uh, Paris. And um, yeah, growing leaps and bounds, uh, had our ups and downs. The industry has changed a lot and uh, it remains, uh, it remains, it remains progressive. It remains uh, a challenge. And uh, yes, now overseeing uh, Southern and East Africa for uh, the business as well as the uh, overall operator business uh, within the Africa region. Cool. Thank you, Ernst. Um, I should probably declare my ability or, or credentials to have a conversation about OEMs today as well. So my name is John French. I look after business development for Trustonic, um, like these two gentlemen in front of me. But I'm very pleased to say 1997 was my entry point there. So it's making me feel slightly less like a fossil. But actually, um, I'm, I'm the new boy. I haven't said that for many years. That I'm, I'm, I'm the newbie. Um, but I, I started out at Nokia um, spent six years at Samsung uh, in sales in the UK and then went on to run uh, HTC uh, and then Middle East Africa and then Microsoft devices across Asia Pacific uh, and then came back to Europe a few years ago to start the HMD or Nokia business again. Um, having since left OEMs about two years ago and joined Trustonic. So I hope to be able to contribute, although I'm sure some of my data is going to be outdated in the two years, which is a lifetime in this industry. But guys, maybe if we can start with this question and I turn really uh, to both of you to give your perspectives on this, is that if you think about Western Europe and developing your own business in Western Europe versus, or Northern Europe versus Sub-Saharan Africa, if you think about how you're going to develop your business over the next 12, 24 months, given that time frame, what are the kind of c competing pressures that you have when you think about how to scale your business? And then if we reflect on both those answers, maybe we'll find some things in common, maybe some things that will be com completely different. But it'd be great to hear those co contrasting thoughts between those two areas. Maybe if I can start with you, William, what are those things that are top of mind for you in Northern Europe when you think about your business plan? Well, I think it's it's an interesting question because um, if you if you look at the UK market, which, which you know really well, um, even in Western Europe, the UK market is completely different from most other markets in Western Europe, and then even more different from the ones in, in Eastern Europe. Um, and and one of one of the biggest difficulties is um, trying to internally explaining those differences. So the UK is a carrier-driven market. You know, seventy-two percent of the market is carrier. Um, you don't see that anywhere else across Europe. Um, there's only you know, twenty odd percent is open market or sim-free, so an RRP price. Um, trying to uh, communicate those differences internally is a really difficult thing to do, especially when you when you come to trying to to um, to to grow your scale. When you then move into the contract market, as we've just done, we've now got two brands in the UK, we've got Alcatel and TCL, and the TCL brand is in the contract market. Um, that, that's complicated, 
contracts very, very complicated to people who don't work in a contract-driven market. Yep. Um, and that's one of the biggest problems you have when you're trying to then grow that, that particular bit of business because it's much more expensive. Hmm. I think the other thing is that you see certainly in my market is um, not only is it carrier-driven, but it's dominated by two brands. Hmm. I mean, dominated by two brands, and you don't see that anywhere else. Yeah, Certainly not across Europe. Um, not sure about other parts of the, of the world, but you know, you're talking about two brands who have got what, 85, 90% of the value of the market, yeah. and everybody else is left with a small amount to go after. Um, so, you know, it's very, very different from place to place. Um, and I think the other part, which certainly for us, is again, we're very, very brand sensitive. Certainly in the UK and Ireland, um, it's a very, very brand sensitive market, hence why you have two dominating brands. Um, and that raises a whole other set of um, challenges. Let's call them challenges about building brand and building your brand in certain price points and, and, and so on. Um, and, and, it, and it's it's massively different just in Europe. I mean, the biggest part of our market in Europe is in the UK is over six hundred pounds, which is massive. So I think when you when you come to looking at your own little territory, the most difficult thing is trying to explain the differences that you have and those challenges, and how to adapt to them when the rest of Europe or the other parts of the world don't have anywhere near those sort of of, of challenges. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, maybe that's just to get a, a perspective on that, would you would you be able to answer the same question? Maybe we can dive into some of those those points that you're both bringing up. Yeah, I, I think um, you know if we have to compare ourselves to uh, Europe or uh, the UK, uh, we we are vastly different, um, which comes with its own challenges working for a global company. Um, where the business has a certain direction, um, but it then lends itself to, to, to how do you remain relevant in, in a certain market. Um, once again, comparing ourselves Western Europe to, uh, to, to a developing region, um, you know, we're, we're targeting completely different consumers. Um, we're targeting different product segments. Uh, we're still chasing the 2G to 3G migration, 3G to 4G migration, where uh, Europe and the UK are, uh, you know, uh, thriving on 5G um, and talking about 6G. Um, so from, from that aspect, it is vastly different to, to uh, many other markets. We also have our own sub-regional challenges where, uh, like the UK market is different to, to the European market or vice versa. Um, the South African market is different to our counterparts literally 400 kilometers you know, to, to the east of us in Mozambique, uh, as an example, where the South African market is predominantly dominated by the operator business. Um, it's a highly subsidized market. Um, so the operator is price sensitive because uh, the cheaper the price uh, retails at, the um, the more of a subsidy they need to put in. So obviously the bargaining when it comes to to uh, to us as as a manufacturer, it does make 
the business a lot more difficult um, or a lot more cutthroat to 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 stay on top of your game. Um, from a market player perspective, uh, William was alluding to the fact that the market is do dominated by two manufacturers. We have the complete opposite. Um, where first of all, those two manufacturers that William uh, refers to, uh, one of them is in the top three, the other one is not even in the top five, um, based on the demographic of, of the sub-region, um, it, lends, it lends itself to opening up to a lot of tier three vendors coming into the market, um, which has its own challenges. We're, we're not traditionally tier one, we're not tier three, we're, we're not tier two, we're kind of like a tier two plus or a tier one minus, it depends on you know glass half full, glass half, half empty. Um, and that makes uh, doing business co completely different versus our counterparts that we have in Europe. And especially when we are dealing with the same customers at a group level. Um, William is dealing with um, an operator who I'm dealing with. Yeah. And uh, the business discussions are just vastly, vastly different. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. So maybe that's a, that's a good place to start there. I mean, there's there's some clearly some massively different objectives on behalf of your customers, vastly different consumer needs, uh, clearly, uh, between both markets. But the bit you've got in common, and I guess I'm looking, thinking more around the UK market here and South Africa, you've got some fairly dominant operator players, right? But, but again, but different in terms of their development and their objectives. Um, if we think about uh, the operator for a second, you know, if you're thinking about how you go to market, you've got to keep those trade partners happy, right? And we all know that they have a they have certain demands upon their OEMs and certain demands upon their manufacturers. How do you think about balancing those needs from your trade partners versus coming up with something or a message that is uh, popular and resonates with the consumer with, with it, within the market? Because that's always that balancing act, right? There is, and um, maybe to get a step back, if you look at um, one of our brands, the Alcatel brand, that's been in the UK market for 27 years now. Mm. And yeah. I think it's the longest, most consistent brand in the market because it was there before Samsung came in and other ones have come in and out, but it's been there yeah. the whole time. But across across the globe, even the parts of Europe, it's not been there for that long. Therefore, in, in the UK, it has a different uh, personality, it has a different brand value to compared to what it has in different parts of the globe. And I think what the operator in the country, not just the operator, but retailers, they want to see that you fully understand what that brand means in that particular country. Yeah. And that you understand the consumer that it appeals to and what it's there to do and what it's there to do for their business. If you if you if you look at what, what we've done with Alcatel, we we know that it's a zero to one fifty price point. That's it. We know that's where it sits. And if, as long as you know exactly where, where you are with it and what it's there to do, the retailers and carriers are more comfortable with that. Yeah. Because you're not trying to be something you're not. Okay. That's a, that's a good point. And, you know, taking that, that kind of global message, it's about being able to take some global ideas but execute them differently locally. Mm. So we, we would get, you know, about three, four years ago, we were getting... Um, artwork for Alcatel and it was, you know, picture of the phone and there was yachts on it and 
skylines of Hong Kong and all that sort of stuff, which doesn't resonate in any way whatsoever with the alcohol consumer in the UK. Mm. So you need to have the conviction to be able to go back to your global head office and say, sorry, that doesn't work here. Nobody, nobody who's buying an Alcatel has a yacht. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's buying an Alcatel aspires to have a yacht. Yeah. And, and you need to tweak it locally and, and have the right message for your channels in the country, for your consumer who you're targeting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we, we were quite lucky that we were able to change that direction from global. And we were one of the only countries, certainly the only country in Europe was allowed to do that. But we were allowed to do it because we'd scale, you know, we're the biggest country in Europe for um, TCL, Alcatel. So we were allowed to move in a slightly different direction. Yeah. From that. But I think, it, I think it's really important, regardless of being global, that your customers, so our customers, retailers, operators, they are confident that you know what you're trying to do with that global brand locally, mm. rather than just trying to fire a global execution into a market that, that doesn't work. Yep. Maybe, Ernst, same question to you. You've obviously got similar carriers and similar operators. I would say you've got, a say, a healthier proportion of retail mix as well, though, right, versus, so carrier versus retail mix in South Africa, certainly. Do you regard that as a as a healthy thing for you and a, and a, a good dynamic for you as a brand that's seeking to grow? We need to remember that uh, from, a, from a retail footprint, um, and the operator side of the business, they're actually all intertwined. Um, our retail business, business is not separate to our operator business. Um, and in fact, it makes, uh, I don't want to say it makes the, the, the job harder, but uh, we're having to impress two sets of people. Uh, we're first having to get the buy-in uh, from the operator or how things have changed of, of late is the reverse, where we actually cr- create the demand with the retail uh, side of the business, who then puts the push onto the operator to, uh, to, to range uh, a product. Um, from a day-to-day business perspective, I think it does allow us to pinpoint products to specific retailers because different retailers have their own different target markets. So we have, uh, you know, any products uh, below $50, there are certain retailers which which are our, our mass retailers where we're talking about 1,500, 2,000 stores across the country. Um, and that's just one retailer. Uh, and products, you know, 50 to $70, um, we, can, uh, we can go and position those products within a different retailer. And so we go up. From a price perspective, very different to, uh, well, slightly different to, to William, is we're at a max on the Alcatel side at $100, where he's sitting at, at $150. I'm not sure if you were actually talking uh, pounds or, or, or dollars. Uh, but our, our price positioning for Alcatel is max at a, at a hundred dollars and positioning the, the products within specific retailers allows us to also avoid too much competition because the overall retail footprint is over 10,000 stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we're, we're talking a, a, across eight to 10 different retail brands. So for us to position a product, specifically to a uh, demographic within a retail market 
allows us not to have uh, you know, price fixing or uh, competition from this one's cheaper than the other. At the end of the day, when that does happen, it becomes our problem. If a product is not selling within a certain retailer, uh, they're going to come knocking on our door. So by allowing us to differentiate where the product, uh, product sits, uh, will avoid us having to have any, any stock sitting in China. That's one of the things that's common no matter where you are. If your product's not selling, it's, they come knocking back at your door, don't they? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you, you, you know, we, we don't have um, the, the budgets uh, that a lot of our competitors have to just throw money into, into issues like, uh, like this. So you have to be strategic where you place a product, um, knowing that or hoping that you're not going to have products sitting on the shelf, uh, you, you know, at, at the end of a quarter. Um, so it is key for us to, to uh, I, I'd rather limit um, the distribution of stock uh, to avoid having it come back and, and, and bite us at a later stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the common theme between what you both said, I, I, I completely agree with both of you, is it is that local flexibility, right? And I think, uh, I guess, conversation topic could be how that understanding has changed over the years i mean we're, we're probably all old enough to remember the days where you blindly chased market share and you were uh, you had to get our products into every single channel and coverage was everything maybe there's then the realization now that that local flexibility and the trust and faith you put in your local teams is more important than ever obviously not just from a market share perspective but how to run a profitable business as well um i think we both know that Obviously, the couple of players globally that make the predominance of the overall profit are relatively clear. So scaling whilst running a sustainable, profitable business is more important than ever, right? That's a good point now about, um, you know, previous days chasing market share and, 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 and so on. You know, you've got to be profitable. You've got to pay salaries, you've got to pay rent, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. Chasing market, I mean, you can increase market share quite easily by not making any money on pro, on your product. So I, th- I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's about being able to grow, but being profitable and sustainable. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember those days, you probably remember as well, William, where as a sales guy, you saw the top line, you had your sales number, you probably didn't have that much visibility of all the costs associated with it. Yeah. You know, I found over time, you became much more of a product owner, uh, a business owner, you know, managing all those different cost lines in, in your P&L. Then yeah. if you think about then, if we kind of right, rewind that band back to your HQ guys, and they're looking at their strategy for the world, and they've got you know, having a phone call with William saying, this is the way the market is, and this is what we need to win. And then the next phone calls to Ernst saying, but this is what I need to win. Do you, do you have a sense of what's the tipping point for them? As what, what's the decision-making criteria as to where they place their bets? Because um, we know there aren't that many manufacturers in the world that can play everywhere for various reasons today. You know, where they place their bets, is that down to you is that down to the market is that down to their capability or how best suited they are to the demographics of that market It'd be just interesting to get your view on that both I, I i think i think you would get a different answer depending on what manufacturer you were talking to hmm. about that um i think mostly if you've got if you've got a manufacturer that is chasing market share then that's what they'll do they'll chase the market share and whatever or if you've got a manufacturer who's trying to build brand awareness, mm. they'll go that way. Um, I mean, I think certainly for us, it's about return on investment. 
okay, if we spend if we spend more in the UK or we spend more in South Africa, what do we get back compared to spending in Germany or North America or, or whatever? Um, and I think the other part part of it as well is if you look at a global brand like TCL selling multiple different products as well. So number two globally for TV, which is massive. Nobody really knows that, but TCLR. It's also trying to line up with what else is being sold in that country at the same time. So if we invest money in there, will that help us with our TV business? Or will that help us with our aircon business? So I think I think it really varies depending on the manufacturer is what they offer as a whole, mm. not just you know where they sell, but all these different types of product segments. Certainly for, for our business, that that matters a lot. Ernest, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think um, you know William is saying that there's it depends from manufacturer to manufacturer. I do think in our case. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically about our, our sub-region. I think it does also uh, have a, the, from an internal perspective, the regional dynamic uh, has an impact as well. If you look at our uh, traditional market here in, in SA and what we have achieved from a TCL slash Alcatel perspective is at one stage, we had position number four market share, but we were predominantly an ODM brand. We were manufacturing on behalf of a Vodafone. So we were doing the revenue. We, we were, uh, at one stage, we were, we were the, the kings of the castle. Um, we, we had the revenue, we, we, we had the market share, but did we have market share that the consumer knew? No, we didn't. Um, so I think that there is a there's a fine line with which way you are chasing. Um, I think overall for us as a subregion and and for my twelve years uh, with, with within the company, I think down to making sure that the business is profitable um, is the fundamental uh, direction to take. Um, and I don't see that that changing anytime soon. We've obviously we've moved out of the the ODM side of the business uh, over the last two three years. Uh, one, our own strategy, and two, uh, follow, following uh, the the operator strategy as well, uh, which does make it difficult um, because now suddenly it felt as though I was starting off a new business. Um, now suddenly I had to grow Alcatel. The consumer didn't. The consumer's been using the phone. They just didn't know who it was. Um, so now to to reintroduce a brand, Alcatel, which oddly enough, in the early uh, start of cellular in 95, 96, Alcatel was number one in South Africa. Um, but the consumer today who is purchasing the product wasn't born back then. Um, so, so it doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. So I think it'd be interesting to see you, the way that your HQs approach your businesses then because you know, having run certain regions as well, I agree with you both, you know, explaining the intricacies of, of the areas you work in. And I, as, a, as an Englishman, you know, moving and running after Middle East Africa, that exactly the same phrase you use, William, the most difficult thing about Africa was explaining Africa, you know, <laughs> and um, being, being British, I, I was able to do that relatively well. But 
just explaining some of the subtleties of the market, just the way the way do you engage, the cultural differences, the contractual differences, the needs are completely different. I, are you finding a, a greater awareness of the importance of those local uh, specifics, which, just to be honest, sometimes I found it as well, I'm guilty of it, of having said to sales guys that ran countries for me, that's an excuse. Everyone says that their markets are different. Okay, fine. I want you to hit the number regardless. Are you finding that actually there's a a greater stroke, better subtlety than I than I've demonstrated or understanding. Is is, is that more important? Is are you trying to convey that more? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and especially over the last year, which is a you know bizarre trading times and and all that yep. sort of stuff. Um, yeah, we spend a lot of time explaining cultural differences in the UK about. Just even how you speak, you know, speak to your customers, how you talk to your customers, how you engage with them. Um, yeah, but ultimately you still get that line. Just hit your number. Yeah, well, always. I mean, that, that's always, it's always there. It never goes away. It doesn't make any difference. You know, with the previous forty-five minute conversation around why it's contractually required to provide dummies and demos to to a retailer. Just hit your number. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. And in terms of that maybe that greater flexibility you've got them right so um i mean i've worked for manufacturers when there's a global go-to-market and as you've both said you know that strategy was clear and now we're going to go just everyone in the world do exactly the same thing you know and you're a you're a very small uh cog in a very big machine but expected to do that are you finding now more that you've got and you're able to request that flexibility in how you go to market, and that's understood better, and you've got the tools to be able to do those jobs. You mentioned marketing, for example, William, as well. Are you finding it's more of a toolkit approach to enable you to execute locally rather than the cookie-cutter approach? Would that be fair to say? Um, I, I say certainly, for us, we have a certain amount of flex, local flexibility to go into the market as we see fit, whether we're um, partnering on you know, doing brand stuff. We launched TCL last uh, June mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of a pandemic with no shops open, which was challenging to be, oh, yeah. to be fair. You know, not, not an easy thing to do. Um, but we were allowed to take the overall message, which is display greatness, and adapt it to what we wanted to do locally. So we, we partnered up with BAFTA, which is all about displaying greatness. Um, and some outdoor cinema activity and stuff like that. So we were allowed to to take that single message and then do something different locally with it. But I, but I think we got to do that because we've been doing this for a long time. We need to have built up a certain amount of um, equity internally to be able to get some of those changes made. Yeah. You know, um, and if, if you can if you can explain it time and time again and explain that you understand your market, you know what's going on in your market, you understand the consumer, you understand the economic environment, you understand, you know, lots of other things outside of the mobile phone market. And certainly our business was was happy. Not maybe not happy, would allow us to go and do something a little bit a little bit different because we believed it was the right thing to do. And I'm not sure there's that many brands who think that you can take an idea and it resonates in every part of the globe. Yeah. Maybe once upon a time. Maybe not now, though, right? What about you, Ernst? Any, any 
reflections on that? And, and, and you obviously launched a brand new brand effectively in the last a couple of years. Have you found that it's more of that much, yeah. approach? I, I think so. So we're, we're kind of in a, um, a different position to, to a lot of our competitors or even overall with, 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 within the, uh, the industry where we have two different brands now um, from an Alcatel and TCL perspective. And the approach is very different. Um, so yes, recently I've just had to start launching Alcatel. Um, and educating the consumer about uh, about the brand. There we we piggybacked off of the business uh, or the the elements that were being used by our retail channels. Um, first of all, just from a past perspective, um, it it made a lot more sense to buy into a campaign that's already existing with a partner who already has a name. Uh, so. That was our main focus from an Alcatel perspective. And that has worked well for us because first of all, you are buying a little bit of law or you showing your loyalty to your retail partner. Um, and now we're moving into the next step where I'm behind William when it comes to TCL. We are only launching TCL in uh, effectively in Q2. And we have an extra stumbling block on our side where TCL multimedia does not exist in South Africa. Um, that business has just started up now and um, we are bringing on the first recruits for the multimedia side of the business. So the brand does not exist um, in SA. Uh, if I see a TCL, the, the only brand that you would see here is air conditioning. And uh, if, if I see an air conditioner, I, I, I get so excited because I could actually see my brand on you know, the side of someone's house. Or you know. um, odd, Oddly enough, um, they're, they're also the sole distributor to a major caravan man manufacturer in SA. So uh, they're, they're the air cons that, that you find inside caravans. Um, so it, it, it's two different uh, ways of doing business. Um, moving forward, where from a TCL perspective, it is definitely going to be at, at a higher end market uh, that you are targeting. The benefit that we do have, and I think that goes across the board, and, and I think from a global perspective, the business made the right decision uh, to, to, to do so, is we are a nation that thrives on football. Um, so I'm going to use every element that I can and piggyback off of the brand recognition we are getting from our, our football partnerships um, uh, with, within Europe and, and, and the UK. Um, so that is my go-to-market strategy is let me use sport to get you to buy my phone. Yeah, yeah, I'm with it. I mean, you've just demonstrated, I guess, both of you, the, the importance of that flexibility, right? And just in terms of the way that you've both taken two brands yeah. to market through complete two completely different mediums. And maybe if we kind of just draw this back a little bit to what helps you to be different in very competitive markets. You know, William, you've got the situation where the, the number of trade partners you've got would be relatively limited and in some degree getting smaller, right? And then, um, and then for you, Ernst, you've got maybe a more diverse kind of customer base. But universally, you're trying to stand out with a different message, whether that be about the product itself, about your brand positioning. Um, but if we just focus on te technology for 
a second. Um, do you believe it's harder to stand out from a technology perspective than it has been before? How do you address those types of concerns in your individual markets? Or does that mean that you actually move some of your messaging around some of the softer elements of your proposition, like brand, like sponsorship, and away from just pure technology development as that point of difference for you? Maybe, William, if you could just give us your reflections yeah, on that. I think, right. I think certainly, um, you know, with Alcatel, we, we've, we've never... Uh, Never said that we were a technology leader. We, you know, we haven't created any new technology or whatever. But what we have done is brought existing technology to a, a different price point. Mm. Um, and with TCL, we're we're really kind of focusing around trying to um, generate some brand awareness, focusing on one part of the product only, which is display. Um, because I, we 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 don't have the ability to have the you know the latest technology. We're not that type of business. We're not first to to bring something to to market. You know, we weren't first with a five G product. We're not first with we weren't first with four G either. To be fair, um, that's not really what we're about as a as a company. It's about um, existing technologies new price points, focus on the brand, focus on one thing in the product, build that brand awareness using partnerships, mm. um, sponsorships as, as well. But I think the, one, of the, one of the other things about it is that when you have two brands and you know, Ernst is experiencing this just now, and you're trying to keep those two brands separate and meaning two different things. So I've got Alcatel, as it's up to 150, it's great value, we use the great take price strap line. And then above that, I've got this TCL stuff, which is display greatness, higher, higher value, value product. But at the end of the day, it's us sitting in front of the one buyer. Yeah. So you're communicating about a set of products. One minute you're talking about the Alcatel product, then the next minute you're talking about TCL, then you're back to Alcatel again. So you're having this constant conversation with it. It's not two different buyers you're sitting in front of, yeah. it's the same, it's the same buyer. Um, and you need to be really clear with why you have two brands yeah. and what are they there for and how are they going to bring value to that buyer and to their, that, that customer. And is there, a, and so we'll come on to the very specific challenges you've got technology-wise being completely different uh, where you are, but do you find that the higher you go up the price points, the more the expectation is technology will play a part in that USP that you've got? Well, you know, you've got a big lead in terms of screen technology, leveraging off your position of number two in the world. Um, and I know that's an important part of your strategy and how you leverage that. Is the expectation that actually you do bring that USP or you do bring that point of difference te- technology-wise, the higher you go up those price scales? Uh, I, I, absolutely. Um, but but I think one of, one of the things about, certainly in the UK market, is um, the, cu- the customer, the consumer now expects a great display. Mm. They expect quick refresh on a screen, on a screen, or they expect you know the product to charge in three minutes from flat to full. There's a lot of expectation from the consumer in the UK market, um, and, and I, I think probably for the industry as a whole, actually getting a little bit harder to find that one technology thing mm. that you really can focus on that's complete, completely different. Yeah, um, but I, absolutely, the consumer. It, the consumer expects a certain amount 
Yeah. You just expect it's going to have a great display or it's going to have a great audio or, or whatever. Maybe, Ernest, if you could take that question from your perspective. I mean, you've got, as I say, operators, consumers that won't have ever used used a smartphone either, right? So their expectations are going to be completely different. Um, do you? Uh, how much does that kind of good enough type of uh, approach to technology resonate within the market? You know, we we all race for. I mean, you will both remember this: the race for megapixels, the race for screen fresh, and the numbers going up every single year. And we probably all felt as consumers, you didn't didn't know quite what that meant. You just wanted a good experience at, at the end of the day. You're in a very different position where where you are. How do you think about that technology as that point of USP versus the whole proposition? We're, we're, we're finding ourselves where we're in a market which is extremely brand conscious. I know every market uh, ha- has has their own uh, level of uh, being brand conscious, um, but at the same time, we on the the other end we have a very price sensitive market, um, and and it's quite interesting with a few products that we have within our portfolio that compete directly with some of these other other brands. Um, that uh, that that we know dominates purely just from a brand perspective. We often joke where we say, you know, we could actually take one of our devices, uh, put another brand, uh, specifically a specific brand, onto the device, and we could probably add a, an extra zero um, to to the price point uh, just from a brand equity perspective. Um, so for for us, we are focusing more on good quality uh, at an affordable price. That is our lingo, whether it be directly with the retailer, directly with the operator, and in the end end, uh, communication to the consumer, uh, which doesn't happen often. I mean, we we do limit the amount of uh, messaging we do do, uh, send out uh, from an actual brand perspective, but, if we look at the overall messaging that we do use in a business meeting with the retailer or or a the operator, luckily they have all walked this road with us for a long time. They do believe in the quality that we have. They believe in our reliability, and they also know that we're still going to be around tomorrow. Mm. There are so many dynamic changes in the markets. We go back 2015 in South Africa. There were eight players in the market, reputable, sustainable players in the market. At the end of 2019, before we entered into uh, the the, the year of the pandemic, we had 23 players in the market. That is a huge amount of competition. And, you know, some of these guys that are coming out, they're bringing out really good products. Um, Some of the guys are bringing once-off deals which messes with the market uh, from a pricing perspective. Um, they might bring in a product which has lower memory, which the consumer doesn't realize. Once again, price sensitive market. The consumer walks into a store, they see an Alcatel product at a uh, thousand Rand retail price. They see the competitor product, same screen size. Screen size is, is, is key in, in our market as well. Um, and that product is 899. They take that product. 
they don't realize that the simple thing, some manufacturers play with low memory, 5, 12, and 8. So the phone works fine for the first month, two months, three months. But as you download more photos, uh, you save in WhatsApp messages, the phone becomes slower and slower and slower. The end consumer isn't seeing that side of it. And that's where we do sometimes have, have a few boxing matches with our with our retail partners as well as our, our operator uh, customers is you are making the decision purely based on price. But at the end of the day, the, the consumer experience is not going to be a good one. Mm. Um, so, is it your name? Is it is it the manufacturer's name that's uh, that's uh, at risk? It, it, it is a bit of a debate. I was going to say it's very difficult, obviously, to convey how happy somebody's going to be after they bought something before they buy it, though, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. How do you convey that experience? Yeah. Do you? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, the phrase which never got discussed in the in the olden days, which we both remember, but is frequent. It was. The net promoter score, which I'm sure you you're probably using all the time. Yeah. I guess that would be that kind of measurement of would you recommend this product to your friends and family? And the value of that has never been. Uh, I hope hopefully you would agree. It's never been more so. You know the fact that people will recommend and buy your product based off a recommendation. Yeah. Let me just finish up, guys. I know we've got a few minutes left, but um, an interesting one for you. If you think about how things have changed and the way we used to sell to the trade customers. Are you finding that your trade customers are are being are, 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 they're actually using their own capabilities as a vehicle for you to go and sell versus taking more or less ownership? And the example I've got is one particular operator, which I won't mention in uh, in Western Europe, Germany. Uh, with actually, is very open in saying, actually, guys. Uh, we don't care. We don't buy your product. We'll buy whatever the customers want to buy. That's it. Um, you advertise in my stores. You treat my stores like a vehicle, and you'll I'll buy as many as the customers want. But it's not down to me to decide. That's down to you. Are you finding that there's more of that kind of feeling of you taking the ownership for your product and your success in the market with them as a vehicle to convey it, or you're finding their influence on the market is stronger or less than it has been in previous years? I think it depends what, what kind of retail channel you look at because, you know, our carriers are all retailers as well. Mm. Um, but, but I think in general, I, I think retail looks for the manufacturer to drive demand, drive footfall, and then they convert it. Yeah. I, th- I think that's probably more so now than, it, than, it, than it's ever been. Um. I, th- I think retailers and, and carriers w- want you to be driving people into the store or onto their website demanding your product. Yeah. So there's a whole load more work to be done before the consumer gets in the shop or yeah. onto, onto the website. And if they got too much stock, then that's your problem to fix as well then, right? <laughs> of course. Always. Always, always. always. Uh, so maybe just to finish up with your thoughts on on that point would be great. Yeah. I think there's also a fine line with uh, how much uh, as a a manufacturer or a supplier into a retailer or the operator, um, you know, how much, how much money do you have to put on the table? Um, uh, You know, it's either going to benefit them from a marketing perspective, uh, from a a, a brand awareness perspective, or down to bottom line. Um, I I think that's one element that does uh, play a part. So, uh, that's also an influencer when it comes to uh, their decision making. Um, but I think overall, 
it is definitely our responsibility uh, to make sure that there is a demand, it does make it easier. So making sure that no matter what, you still have a field team out there because a salesperson in a store is a very different person to the guy sitting, you know, at head office. A human being uh, will only be comfortable doing something that they have confidence in. So the more we train them, the more we explain to them, the more we run through our product lineup with them, that that salesperson will then have the confidence to sell to a consumer. The consumer walks in, it's easy for them to say, I want a X brand. But if you have trained and educated the, the, the store representative on your product, they will then be confident enough to sell it. And I think that is a key element, no matter you, I can have a conversation um, at a head office, but if, if my field team are not doing their job on the ground, it's going to impact because no one as a human being wants to ever feel embarrassed. So if I ask you as a, a consumer, you are my sales representative, and I ask you, what is the memory on this device? You don't know it. You're going to feel embarrassed not to answer. Um, so make sure that it, the, 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 the teams are educated. They know exactly what they're talking about. Um, and I think that is a key elements from top head office down to store level, which is critical for us. Thank you. That's a brilliant way to wrap it up. I think if we kind of rewind back to the original question, it seems a while ago now, which is actually how do you, how do you think about uh, a global brand and your approach in different markets? I think we both demonstrated brilliantly is that actually we can look at the macroeconomic factors behind a brand looking to scale around the world but the importance of local market dynamics, cultural aspects, execution on the ground, you know, your skill and capability of yours and your teams and your experience is, is hugely valuable to that. So, and obviously demonstrated by, both, by the fact you've both done a great job. So I just want to thank you both for spending the time today. It's been fascinating to talk to you and I uh, hope that we can do this again soon. Thanks, Thanks both. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you very much.